Acts chapter 16. And if you're able to stand, stand with us for the reading of the Word of God, beginning in verse 11. We'll introduce it some more, but we'll begin in verse 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we, who wrote the book of Luke? Who wrote the book of Luke? Luke did. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke did. When you see that personal pronoun, we, the writer is saying he was in that, he was, he was actually accompanying these people. He was with them. The doctor, the great physician, Luke Verse 11, therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi. And we're going to talk about this, this beginning of the gospel in Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia. That's the region. Philippi is the city, Macedonia is the region, and a colony. It's not only a chief city, it's a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. It's a prayer meeting on the Sabbath day. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized... And her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for another account of the gospel being introduced to a person, to a people, but to a person. And the lessons that we can learn from the ministry of the Apostle Paul and Silas and Luke, Timothy, as they presented the gospel to people. Help us to learn from them. Help us to identify with them. Help us, Lord, to um, practice what we see practiced throughout the New Testament. Please speak to us tonight. Help us to take this seriously, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So this is the beginning of the gospel ministry in Macedonia. Macedonia is a region that would include places like Berea and Philippi we see here, um, and Thessalonica. Uh, This was a place that would be powerful, powerful churches uh, raised up here. This is the beginning of this gospel ministry. It's a part of... Uh, Paul's, what we call Paul's second missionary journey. You'll remember that the conclusion of chapter 15, uh, Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement. They parted company over that disagreement. Paul and Barnabas had been traveling companions during the first missionary journey, but they couldn't come to an agreement on John Mark's role. 
as they went out again. And so they went separate ways. Paul took Silas and Barnabas took Mark. Paul and Silas and their team are moving westward. In chapter 15 in verse 41 it says, about well verse 40 says, Paul chose Silas and departed. In verse 41 he went through Syria and Cilicia. This is places they'd already been confirming the churches, just building them up, edifying them, teaching them. And they're traveling across this area. And in chapter 16 and verse 1, they came to Derby and Lystra. And that's where they met a man, a young man by the name of Timothy. And Timothy joined up with this entourage, this group, this team of missionary evangelists and began to travel with them. And as they travel west... Um, they come to um, a place where they needed clear direction. We have a map just to kind of remind you about the geography of the area. I think when you read these places, it just helps. Uh, I know geography is not a requirement, but it's, an, it's a tool that helps us uh, relate to the spread of the gospel. So on your far right, you see uh, where this second missionary journey would begin. And it says they went to Syria. Number two there on the far right, Syria. Uh, Antioch is in Syria, and and then they went to Cilicia, the Bible says. You see Lystra and Derby there, number six, five, is that five and six? Lystra, Derby. this is where they picked up Timothy. They're traveling west across uh, Asia Minor, and they're going to get all the way over, if you look up to the fo- top to the left, to Troas and Mysia. And when they got there, they didn't know what to do. Most of you should be familiar with this account. But really, um, this was just a major decision on the part of Paul and the team. Uh, If you read the details of it in chapter 16, they they wanted to go north. See, Bithynia at the very top center of them, they wanted to go into Bithynia. But the the Spirit of God wouldn't let them go. They, they, They didn't have liberty. They didn't have clear direction. And so God gave them a vision to go to the west. And so to the west of Troas is a body of water. (laughs) It's the Aegean Sea. And there is an island in that sea called Samothracia. Do you see that up there, number 10, I think it is? They went, but they didn't stop at Samothracia. They traveled further uh, north and west uh, to... Uh, Neapolis, that that city is now Kovala. It's right on the Aegean Sea. We've we've traveled by there actually, my wife and I, many years ago. Uh, we've been to Philippi when we're driving up there. So so anyway, um, this was the journey. This was a major step. You know, if you were taking a tour of the regions we're looking at, it wouldn't be a big deal. But this was a big deal to take the gospel. <laughs> Across the Aegean Sea, and so that so that whole region over to the left, where th- you see Macedonia at the top left, that's the region. Thessalonica's in there, Berea is in there, and then if you get down further than south, you have the region which is now Greece, but it's called Achaia, and so that's the region they're taking the gospel to. And so we have this record in our Bible in chapter sixteen and verse nine. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Thank you, guys. We'll. Um, the vision, of, they didn't know what to do. God gave Paul this vision. There stood by him a man of Macedonia, we're in verse 9, and prayed him saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. Come help us. 
And verse 10 says, after he, talking about Paul, had seen the vision, immediately we, and this is really where Luke got on board, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So they're going on this first trip into Macedonia. This is the beginning of European missions, by the way. European missions would eventually lead to the gospel coming to the eastern coast of the United States. So this is such a major, major step as far as the spread of the gospel. In verse 9 and 10, we have them arriving in Philippi. Let's look at that together. Excuse me, uh, 10 and 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, that's the island, and the next day to Neapolis, that's on the coast, north. A northern coast of the Aegean Sea, and from thence to Philippi, which now is not even a place, a city hardly. From thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding several days. So they get to Philippi. Philippi was an important city in Macedonia. It was a chief city. Uh, which means it was important. It actually got its name, Philippi. The name was, was came from Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great. He did a great renovation in the city and, and renamed the city after himself. And uh, it says there, and this is more than just being an incidental, it says it was a colony in verse 12, and a colony. A colony means it was a Roman colony. This region was uh, controlled by the Romans. And it was a Roman colony, which means it was occupied and planted by the Romans. It was recognized by the Romans. And so the gospel is coming to Macedonia. And here's the, so we ask the question, how would the gospel be introduced in this, this most important? Think about the ramifications of this journey, as I said, because the gospel is really making inroads in what would become Europe. And spread across the European continent eventually. And what would be what would be the introduction of this? Without fanfare, you know, without recognition, is to me fascinating the first convert in Philippi, and that's what we're reading about tonight. Outside of town, it tells us about this in verse um, thirteen. It says, we went out of the city on the Sabbath day. We went out of town by a little river. And there were some people who were worshiping God on the Sabbath day, the day of Jewish worship. There were people who were out there. Paul found this group of women who were gathering to pray. And he started a conversation with them. That doesn't tell us what he said. But he begins to talk to these women. Can't you almost see that in your mind? The Apostle Paul, it's a Sabbath day. They're not in a synagogue. We don't know why. If there was, maybe there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi at that time. We don't know that. Because more than likely, had there been a synagogue, they would have gone to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. That was Paul's MO. That was his routine. But he goes to this group of women... And he begins to talk to them. No doubt the conversation went to the gospel. Not just to Jewish, the Old Testament history, not just to the reading. You know, it was a part of the ritual. 
on the Sabbath day, they would sing psalms, they would read from the prophets, they'd read the Old Testament writings. But no doubt Paul turned the conversation to the gospel. And verse 14 says, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira. Now we're familiar with the city of Thyatira. Because it's mentioned in Revelation 1 and 2, the seven churches of Asia, Ephesus and, and Philadelphia and, and uh, all these different churches. You remember those? One of them was Thyatira. So this woman was from Thyatira. And it says she was a, look in verse 14, a seller of purple. How do you sell a color? Right? I mean, if you maybe, well, the, the answer to that is it was purple dye. It was for dyeing fabric. It was very expensive. It was actually made from shellfish. And it was very expensive. As a matter of fact, the, 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 this woman was um, a businesswoman, if you want to say that. A professional woman. She had moved from Thyatira to Philippi. We know she lived in Philippi because later she said, come to our house. We want you to come over to our house. And... Um, there's another place that this, pur- this purple is mentioned another place in the Bible, but one place is in the, in the Gospel of Luke. When Luke gives us the record about the rich man and Lazarus, it tells us that the rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. He was clothed in purple. It didn't just mean he had a purple shirt on. It means that he, ha- he was wearing this expensively dyed fabric, and this woman... Out there on the Sabbath day with some other women who are praying on the Sabbath day. She's in this group of people. And it's, a divi- it's another one of these divine appointments. You know, her profession, her occupation brought her to Philippi. But God brought Paul to her to give her the gospel. This is the way it works. You know, the gospel didn't begin in Macedonia with a great citywide crusade. It began with a woman who was a seeker of God. And God got the gospel to her. It tells us in verse 14 about this woman. It says, which worshipped God. This was before she got saved. This is a pretty important thing to understand. Before she got saved, she was a worshiper of God. She was on the, it was on the Jewish Sabbath. Obviously, she must have been a Jewish proselyte, a convert to Judaism. And which means she believes the law. She believes the prophets. She's reading the scriptures. She believes in the um, Judeo religion, the Jewish religion. And she's worshiping on the Sabbath day. But listen, she wasn't saved, right? This woman wasn't saved. She was a seeker, and she was open to the gospel. We'll see that in a minute. But she was not saved. Let me tell you, you can be a seeker of God and not be saved. You can be a religious person and not be saved. This person was a seeker. The Lord said this. She worshiped God, and she heard us. Look in verse 14. She heard us, and then I have this, this phrase underlined in my Bible because it's so Meaningful, it says, whose heart the Lord opened. 
God was working in her heart and she was attentive. Look at the very last part of verse 14. That she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. She paid close attention to what Paul was saying. He wasn't standing behind a pulpit. He wasn't preaching with a microphone. He was on a creek bank talking to these women who were seekers of God. And this one woman, her attention was arrested around the words that he was saying. She was, she, the language of the Bible is there in verse 14. She attended unto the things which were spoken. This is, this is such an important description. I, I looked up that word attended uh, to get further understanding or definition. It says the word, and it means exactly what we would think it means. It means to hold the mind. We would say pay attention. Her mind was given to the words that Paul was saying. That's an interesting fact to me. When you think about how easily people are distracted in our day and age. So many people, so many things, so many ways. Just not, can't even focus. This, this woman's mind, according to, the, according to the word of God, this woman's mind was just riveted on what Paul was saying. And God's working in her. She's taking this, this whole matter of what he's saying seriously. And she was, she was taking God's truth seriously. I'll tell you, that puts her, to me, she's still lost, but that puts her far ahead of many people, even in church houses. I'm, I'm, I'm just get amazed at people in church that can't pay attention. Now, y'all are doing pretty good tonight. I think you're, I think you're, because we're talking about, we're talking about, you're afraid I'm going to catch you. But either way, it's amazing. People, I'm, this, it's not, and I'm not saying this, don't you look at me. What I'm saying to you, what I'm teaching you, what preachers are telling you and teaching you are the very words of God. They're not some magazine. They're not some blog. They're the very words of God and we ought to take it seriously. And I'm glad you're attentive. You're attending, attending to the word of God tonight. You know, God gives light I think this is very interesting. God gives light to every person. John's gospel tells us that. He gives illumination. He gives light to every man. But man has to respond to that light. It's not God's responsibility for you to make the right decision concerning the truth of God. God gives you light. It's your responsibility to take it seriously. We don't know who else in this group got saved. We don't know who else in this group took the word of God seriously. But this woman did. God was working in her heart. And you know what? As as she did that, God was opening her heart. Isn't that a great thing? When God begins to open your heart to truth. That's not not just thinking through it in your mind. Your heart is the... The center of your being. It's opening up your life and your heart and your desires, your your will to what God is saying, to what God wants. That's a beautiful thing to think about. And that's what God is doing. You say, well, why would God, why would God do that for her? Does he do that for everybody? I don't know the answer to that. But I know this, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I do know that. Amen. 
And I'm of the persuasion, I'm of the persuasion that the more, well, God said it, draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. The more we're open and serious. There could be someone sitting here tonight that comes to church regularly, but comes with a pretty kind of a measured, a measured um, commitment to truth and, and and like a guard to keep you from getting too serious about stuff. You know what I'm saying? People do come to church like that. You know, they're not really wanting to get serious about it. But they're wanting, they're wanting to be here. For, well, I want to sit by my friends. We're going to talk about things. I, you know, whatever. But I'm telling you, I believe if a person were to say, I'm going to sit in church. I'm going to listen as carefully as I can. I'm going to learn everything I can. And whatever God says to me, I'm going to respond to. I think you'd start seeing God working in your life. Right? Now, if, it was, if I was God, I'd just thump you. I'd just swat you right across the head. All the way into tomorrow. <laughs> But God's not like that. God's nicer than I am. God's gentle. Amen. But anyway, so God's working in her heart. God's, God's drawing her. And many of us know what that's like. You know, God didn't just pick me up one day and transport me through the air and drop me down at an altar in a Baptist church. No, God was working in my life. God was bringing me to some failures and frustrations, the end of myself and, and fears about what my future was going to be like. And all these things are going on. You know what that is? That's God just working and drawing. And that's what God is doing to this woman. He was drawing her. And that's what it takes. Listen, please hear this. That's what it takes for a person to be saved. You can't be saved without God. Right? That's, that's, we want people to be saved, but you can't get saved just because you say, okay, I'm ready, I'm going to turn it on. You can't do that. It takes God to save a person. It takes even the fact that we're willing to turn to our God in our heart, this act of repentance and seeking God, that's, that in itself is God working in your heart. It takes God to do that. This, God is working in this person's life. And I just think it's a beautiful illustration for a lot of reasons of how good God is. Here's a brand new region who's, that's never been exposed to the gospel, this Macedonian area, and there's going to be great churches fired up and in Thessalon- here in Philippi and in Thessalonica, and God's going to do some mighty, mighty works. Some of the strongest churches of the New Testament era are right here in Macedonia, or they will be. And you know what God's doing? He's working in a little businesswoman's heart who's out there on the Sabbath day at a prayer meeting with a group of women. Isn't that amazing how God works? You never know what God might be doing. Salvation is God's work. But does that, mean that, that, does that mean that there's no human responsibility? No. The gospel is being presented. God uses people. God uses people. And I know it's possible. It is possible. That we could give out gospel tracts and witness to people and talk to people. 
and engage them in gospel conversations and nothing ever come of it. That's possible. And by the way, if that happened, you've still done your job. But I think the more we do that, the more we're going to find that we're going to cross paths with people that God is working in their life. Who are open to it. Who are receptive to it. Isn't that good? That God would do that? That God would let... So it takes, it takes the human instrument, the, human per, the person who's witnessing and, and sharing the gospel. And then it takes... Um, it takes God. You know, I have a... I'm, you, know, you know I hold my glasses a lot, right? I mean, it's something I'm going through. It's a, it's a stage I'm going through. It's a change of life. <laughs> and I've ch- because I changed my glasses, I've, I've wore bifocals for probably 20 years. And I got rid of my bifocals. Because... I can see real good up close. So I'm doing pretty good with the up close. I still need the outside, the long distance part. But when stuff is out there in front of me and I have my glasses on, I don't have the up close stuff. So I can't see. It's blurred, sort of. So a lady was checking me in at the motel the other night. And I kept trying. I like to call people by their name. And I couldn't read her name. And it was spelled weird. And, I, and she didn't know it, but I was taking my glasses off and trying to read her name tag. And, and I said, how do you pronounce your name? And it was a very simple name. <laughs> what was her name? Danielle. But it wasn't spelled like Danielle. It was spelled weird. So that was the first day I checked in. And, I, and so I, I called every time I'd see her. I said, there's that lady that's got the weird spelled name. I saw her this morning as I checked out. And I went out to the car, we got our stuff out, and took the cart back in. You say, why do you need a cart if you're only there for two days? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So my wife is with me. (laughs) So I went back in and I just said a word to Danielle and gave her a track. And, and you know, all you're doing is planting a seed. But the point is, you never know where God might be working in a person's life. You know what I'm saying? How God might use you to... But you know, it takes a lot of... A lot of things have to happen for this to happen. Number one, we've got to get out of this thing of just being wrapped up in ourselves and it's all about us. We've got to think about other people. We've got to break the habit of being blind to other people around us. And we've got to, we've got to break this false reasoning that nobody wants to hear. Yeah, there's some who may not want to hear... But there were some that didn't want to hear in Paul's day. But we want to keep sowing the seed. We're going to give it out. I I said this so many Wednesdays. I've said this. I'm going to say it again. What if every one of us were having this consciousness, this, this deliberate purpose as I go through my day, 
Yes, I've got to make sure I'm doing this and that and everything I've got to do, but I'm going to, I'm going to, be, aw- I'm going to be sensitive and aware and open for God to use me because there may, be, there may be some woman down by the creek in a prayer meeting that doesn't know how to go to heaven and she's being as religious as she knows how and she just is waiting on somebody to tell her the truth. Does that make sense to you? So, this woman got saved. You say, how do you know she got saved? Because she got baptized. Let's read a couple more verses here. In verse 15 it says, And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us. Luke says, she besought us, saying, this is a great statement. She said to Paul and company, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. This woman got saved and she got baptized. Now, I'm not going to really dive into this, but I want to mention this in passing because it's a good time to mention it. People sometimes wonder, why don't, why don't you immediately baptize a person who says they got saved? And the, and the easy answer for that is, you want to make sure they got saved as best you can. And in the New Testament era, these, we, know, we know these people became believers. They, they really were saved. We have the testimony of the Word of God for it. But, but we live in such a confused era where people, will, people can, will, are, are walked into a decision or make a, 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 an emotional decision, but they're really not getting saved. And I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just telling you, it's better to wait and see if that person really got saved. Amen. And uh, otherwise, you'd be baptizing. They may, I, had, I had a very interesting conversation with a person recently. I don't think they'd mind me sharing it. But they told me that they had gone through the gospel with someone, and then by their own testimony, they had gone through the gospel with this person rather hurriedly. And afterwards, and this person prayed with them to be saved. But this person told me, immediately they felt like they had not been as thorough as they should have been. They had not really gone through, it. you know what I'm saying? They didn't make it clear. So they arranged for another time later and spent, according to their testimony, a couple of hours or more going back through the gospel and back through... What Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus did, why we need to be saved, a couple of hours. And they said to me, and, and I'm confident that person's saved. And I said, well, when did you think they get, got saved? The first time or the second time? And he said, oh, I know it was the second time. A case in point. You know, why would you baptize? We could have taken that person the first time they said they'd made a profession and baptized them. And all, right, you know, right away, they need to be baptized again. And the reason, uh, so I, I don't apologize for not baptizing every person the moment they say, or someone else says, that they got saved. And uh, even John the Baptist himself would not baptize certain people who wanted to be baptized because he said, I don't see any fruit of repentance in you. 
Bring forth some evidence that you're saved. If you really, if you want to get baptized, bring forth some evidence you got saved. So, um, I, and I'm not against baptizing, but we, it's, we, you know, if we have to relentlessly push a person to get baptized, maybe we ought to just wait and see what God is doing. The Ethiopian eunuch, Philip didn't say, come on, man, get baptized. You need to get baptized. I'll go with you to get baptized. No, they saw some water. Philip, the, the man in the chariot said, here's some water. How come I can't get baptized, right? He wanted to be baptized. He wanted to obey God. So another thing I want to mention, since we're in the neighborhood, look in verse 15. And when she was baptized and her household, we need to say a few words about that phrase, and her household. Because some people use that passage as a proof text. Proof text means a text, a verse to prove their point. Some, and I've had them tell me this. That, that proves that babies could be baptized because she got baptized and her household. That's, have you, how many of you have ever, ever heard a person say that? Let me see your hands. Several of us have. Well, that's a real stretch. It doesn't tell us she, how old her family was. It may not even been children. It may have been servants. It could, you know what I'm saying? This woman, this woman is not a, a, a young lady. She's a businesswoman who's lived in Thyatira. She has a business. She's moved to Philippi. And so she's, it may not, she may not have had any small children. And so you, here, just, just for the record, if anybody ever pulls that on you, tells you they believe that, Say, show me that in the Bible, that, that, that you have any re- there's no place ever in the Bible where a person was baptized until after they repented of their sins and believed on Jesus as their Savior. Right? That's the only thing in the Bible. So, it's, it's crazy what people believe. I was, I was reading a comment by Albert Barnes, it's a, it's a He's, a, got a, he's a, one of the many commentaries that they're in our computer, and sometimes you look at what they say and it's humorous. This is, I, want to quote the, I want to read you a quote about this passage. No mention is made of their having believed. Talking about the family members. And the case is one that affords a strong, presumptive base base that this was an instance of household or infant baptism, a presumptive. We don't base our doctrine on presumption. We base it on what the Word of God says. Amen? So, so let's, let's finish up with this last thing that Lydia did that I think is so amazing. Verse 15, after she's saved, after she's baptized... Luke says, she besought us, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Constrained means to use force, to compel them. She, she wouldn't take no for an answer. You say, what's so important about that? Because I think this implies something. Number one thing, it implies that this brand new convert has a heart for helping the messengers of God's Word, the people who've helped her. She has a heart to help them. She wants to immediately exhibit support for God's work. 
She wants to spend time around these servants of God. Timothy is with them now. Paul, Silas, Luke. She wants these people in her house. She wants to hang around these people. You, you say, well, you're, you're, you're reading something into that. I don't think so. This is what the Bible says. We know we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. When a person gets saved, they love God's people. They want to be around God's people. They want to fellowship with God's people. You know why? Because they're saved. It's an evidence of salvation. I'll tell you, I wouldn't give you a plug nickel. Do people even say that anymore? I would, that means a nickel that's worthless. A plug. I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for a person's salvation who doesn't like to be around Christians and doesn't like to be in church. That's not Bible salvation. It's true. This, this, this me, immediately this woman, please come in. Let's fix something to eat. If she was a Baptist, she want to fix something to eat. Please come in. She constrained them. And she said this in verse 15. Notice this. If you judge me to be faithful, she, she already recognized that it was important to her to, to demonstrate a faith, being faithful, full of faith, faith toward the Lord. And there's a sense of humility in this. If you've judged me to be faithful, it's not like, it's not like I'm going to do you a favor. You're going to, you know, or, or I'm, yeah, I'm doing you, but you're, would you favor me? Would you come in? Would you, I don't, I don't even know if I'm worthy for you to come in, but would you come in and stay with me and let us spend some time together? She wanted to be faithful to the Lord. I'm telling you, that's a saved person. Isn't that good? Isn't that good to see? Isn't it good to see somebody just get saved and their life has changed, or attitudes changed, and what they want to do with their life has changed? I'm telling you, that's what we want to see. Amen. And where does it start? Number one, for her part, it starts with a person having an openness to the truth. She hung on every word he said, open to what she, whatever I need to do. Show me. Teach me. I'd love to have been there. I'd love to have been sitting on that creek bank. Just listening to this conversation. Looking in the eyes of the other women and wondering, what are they thinking? Their body language. What are they thinking as this conversation goes on? These kind of conversations need to be taking place. I think we'd all agree with that. Now, if you're here tonight and you're saved, let's, say, let's just say it again. Let's say, Lord, I, I want to be like that. Help me. Help me to be prepared spiritually. Help me to be prepared mentally. Help me to be open, receptive, to help people. Just to give them a, a witness, a testimony. I hope you'll do that. And if you're here tonight, and there are people here tonight probably that aren't even saved, you ought to be asking yourself tonight, What's standing between me and me being saved and having a real relationship with God and receiving Him and letting Him change my life? Maybe you don't want your life to be changed, but He wants to change us. We need to be changed. 